Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Rachel Haley to the show. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I also have my co-host, one of uh, one of my co-hosts, because I have a few now, which I'm super proud of, um, Sean Fowler. Welcome, Sean. Hey, guys. How's it going? Sean has very much been my partner in crime at SalesLoft and my go-to for learning a ton of things way beyond sales enablement, which he's in charge of in all things sales strategy and operations. Haley is the co-founder and CEO of Claris Designs. And I think the best way to describe them, although it's not your official tagline, but it probably should be, is sales ops as a service. And since she goes so deep on sales operations, that is absolutely going to be our topic today. When should you build sales operations? How should you think about making it strategic? And so on. Before we get into that, Rachel, we love to get to know our guests by asking them about favorite books. So uh, what is one of your favorite sales or sales-related books of all time? And and why is that book so influential to you? Great question. I learn a lot from reading. I try to read a book every other week if I can. I think the biggest and most impactful book for me from a sales and negotiation perspective, because I'm usually pretty bad at it, has been the book Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I think not only does it apply in a sales professional setting and something that you can integrate into your career, I also think that it's a good life lesson type of book that helps you learn how to better communicate effectively with people. So I would I highly recommend that to anyone listening. I think it's been a very it's a very 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 great book. I can't wait to take his masterclass. What is the last th- negotiation that stands out in your mind where you you feel that you use some of those techniques? <laughs> We actually just closed a deal with a, a bigger sized company. We haven't actually signed it yet. So I don't think I, I can say yet, but it's a, it's a sizable contract, maybe three times the size of our normal contract. And our team wasn't really used to dealing with that type of negotiation. Uh, they're used to doing smaller size deals that close pretty quickly. So it's about three months of negotiation. And we had a lot of data to show the value of what we had actually produced you know, we had executed on everything within the POC. And however, they were really, they weren't trying to to budge. They were really apprehensive with the price. So that the anchoring technique and the mirroring technique, that was key to eventually get them to sign. When a negotiation goes on for that long, there's so much risk of losing the deal. What did you do in order to ensure that you never lost momentum? A lot of proactive communication and follow-up. I think that there's a fine line between being overly persistent and propelling the negotiation forward. One thing that I learned is that's more of an art than a science. So really trying to form a relationship with all the players involved and understand what value they're going to get out of the sale. Every so often when you follow up, you can bring that up. You know, like, hey, Mr. or Mrs. CRO, I understand that by hiring us, to help with this new initiative, you'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. I understand that that's an important objective for you. How is that going? And ask questions about that. So finding something that they're very passionate about and actually personally invested in with regard to the sales, you have that as a topic to bring up every time you feel that communication is lulled, I found very helpful. And checking back in at least twice a week to see how things are going. Because people get busy, it's easy for them to forget what the primary objective is. And if it's not completely top of mind, it'll just slip through the cracks. So it's a lot of follow-up and initiation of communication, which is uh, overwhelming at times, I think, for people. 
Yeah, that, that transitions us very naturally into the theme. And as you were talking, I was I was thinking with a lot of products and services, there is a really compelling need to prove value. You talked about the proof of concept. Uh, Sean, at one point, uh, built our business value assessment, we call it a BVA. And with many products, you can kind of do a direct attribution. With sales ops, I'm curious, how do you establish the ROI of sales ops as a service? Is that replacing augmenting. I'm curious how how you position that. I think it's more of an augmentation than something to replace what you have. It's a way to gain additional expertise in an area that you don't have or expand your current bandwidth. In terms of providing or measuring ROI, usually we have a very clear objective of what we're trying to solve. And we make that as quantitative as possible. If we are adding Uh, or implementing a process where we think we'll be able to give back, let's say, SDRs 20% of their time or 30% of their time because we've streamlined whatever manual work they had to do previously, we would expect an increase in SALs or SQLs or qualified opportunities. However, the SDRs or BDRs are being compensated, we would directly tie our process optimization into additional quota that they hit or additional revenue. So we try to tie any project that we have to some quantitative metrics. So it's really easy to measure ROI and that becomes a much easier conversation. Uh, But in terms of how I pitch it in general, I think it's more augmentation or a bridge until you are able to hire out that function entirely because you don't want to be reliant on a consultant indefinitely. If you're a small company and you need something set up and you want it to be set up well from the beginning while you are looking for a team or a leader, that's something that we can do. Or if you have a team, but you're going so quickly that you don't have the bandwidth for a particular process or project that you want to take on, but it's really critical, Claris Designs can help increase that bandwidth. You know, I, I think that's a really interesting response. And I like the idea that you're tying the efforts that you and your team do to the outcomes that they're going to they're get from a customer perspective. I'm, I'm curious, typically when you engage with your customers, do they come to you saying like, hey, we have a problem here's what we need to fix? Or do they come to you and say, hey, we have a problem, but we have no idea what we need to fix. And then you then have to go in and do an audit or an assessment of their program. A lot of the times what happens is companies will come to us and say, hey, we have a pricing problem or hey, we have an XYZ problem. But actually the problem is something else. Someone says the problem is X, but that's actually a symptom of the larger problem. And the real problem is Y. So we are hired in and everyone is very attached. The executive team is attached to a particular solution that they anticipate needing to be changed when really it's something else, maybe operationally or up top of funnel more that's causing the issue downstream, if that makes sense. So a lot of the times companies come to us and like, we have a pricing problem. We think that this is the issue. And like, okay, well, walk me through what's actually happening. And then when you get through their the questions and you actually dig a little deeper, what you realize is you have a value propositioning sales issue and that they're not actually proposition, proposing the value of what the product is. They're trying to just get people to sign up right away, but nobody actually gets to try the product, understand the value that it's solving, and then be invested in what that can alleviate for them. And they think they just assume that it's a pricing problem. That happens a lot. What are, what are the most common problems that you find people ultimately have? Well, so I'll answer that question in two 
buckets. I think ultimately the biggest, more systemic problem that I see companies have is an inability to prioritize effectively. I think that a lot of companies struggle with finding one key objective per quarter or per period of time, like one or two that the company as a whole needs to focus on. So there's this lack of prioritization and focus execution that results. And then you end up gaining a lot of yards, not really scoring a lot of points. So that's more systemically what we see a lot and what we try to help companies with. More tactically, to answer your question, what I think I see a lot of companies struggle with is an inability to set up a really simple sales process that captures the data that they need to give them the insights on how to run the business. I don't think that that's something that's, in my experience, sales leaders often connect that, you know, if you want to understand how many touches it takes to move a lead from one stage to the next stage, or if someone hits your website, how long it takes for someone to respond and then for that person to be entered into a pipeline or sales campaign, that you need tracking and systems and process to aggregate and capture that data. A lot of the times people think it's just you can figure it out. The process is either absent or overly complex, and you can't actually glean the data that you need for the answer that you want. So first you need a process and then you can get data that is often overlooked. This is fascinating because uh, number one, I actually delivered a presentation to our team earlier today talking about how everybody's a doctor, right? And that people come to you with symptoms and your job is to figure out what's the underlying condition that causes those symptoms. Because if you solve the symptoms, they're still going to have the condition, right? Um, so I'm, I'm really interested, like you as, as an external consultant, as, a, as an outsourced service, I think have um, the ability to come in and get attention in the way that someone who is internal would not be able to get, right? But in order to get real results, you've got to figure out how to drive organizational change in that company. And I'm wondering like how you partner with individuals from the company to drive real change based on what you find in the process that you're putting in place. I love that question because actually I've failed at this multiple times. And to your point, Sean, I think the way that you interact as a consultant with a company is much different than if you're hired in full time. And I think I've made that mistake tens of times and finally learned. I've gone into companies as a full time employee and and put on my consultant hat and nobody was really bought in on any of the solutions that I was proposing. So in terms of a consultant, you're right, you already are given some what of a leg up because people are coming to you saying, we've tried to solve this internally we cannot. And so that is why we are asking for your help because we either don't have the expertise nor the bandwidth. Here you go. What do you think? So you already have an open line of communication in terms of how you want to solve it. And they're ready for for a solution. So everyone's bought in on the problem, which is great. I think making sure that you partner with every executive who is impacted by the project that you're working on and the ultimate solution is really key. So even if you're hired in um, from by the VP of sales, who ultimately reports to a CRO and that CRO manages maybe the customer success lead, the CMO, a sales engineering lead, et cetera, and the VP of sales has a specific project that you're working on, you know, if it touches revenue at all, all of the CROs directs should be involved, even if it's just a FYI, this is what we're working on. Do you, you know, this is how I understand your process. Do you think that this will impact your world any more than I've already understood it? How, and while we're here, how else can 
we help you. Our life is to make this process and revenue acquisition a lot easier for everyone involved, not just the VP of sales. So whether it's you know, providing technical demos, servicing those customers, marketing to those customers, et cetera. How can we impact your life? How can we make it easier? That is a big part of our onboarding process, if you would say. We interview everyone who we could remotely see as being impacted by our project because it's important for them to get involved. And I want to get relationships established up front and early. So that way everyone is bought in on what we're doing. And then if they have anything else that would help them out, that we can also include that into the project. So it's very collectively exhaustive. You mentioned that one of the biggest tactical challenges that you see is that people either have an overly complex sales process or they are absent a sales process. I'm curious how you think about the difference between sales process and sales methodology. Interesting. So the difference between sales process and sales methodology, I would say is... Process is more about how we actually capture the data that we need to gain the insights in order to run the business more effectively. So how many touches does it take from S1 to S2, S2 to S3? What are our conversion rates? Do we have a process tactically and systematically with people to make sure that those data points are captured along the way? Sales methodology to me is more along the lines of how are you positioning your product that would be the categories of you know, value, selling, or medic, or med pick. What do we want to emphasize? Is our product a holistic solution? Is it an add-on to something? Is it more of a platform? Are we selling based on features? The way that you actually sell and pitch your product is more the methodology. The process is the tactical items and steps with people and systems to capture the data that you need to gain the insights to run the business more efficiently. And then going one step deeper on process... How different are the processes that you help people with when they're selling into the SMB world versus the enterprise world? Very different, I think, because if you still have very high revenue goals or like large growth goals, which most companies do, and you're operating within an SMB space, it becomes a volume play. And then there's a lot more emphasis and pressure put on the streamlined operations and the overall operations of the business and how they're set up. Enterprise company or enterprise selling, and if your ASP is much larger, then obviously you can get the same amount of revenue with a lot fewer customers. So the process and what you want to really emphasize is how you're going to market. It's more of an emphasis on sales methodology. Are you speaking to the right people? Do you have the right person in front of the executives, is there alignment? Are we showing the value? Are we pitching it correctly? How do we run a POC? How long should we run a POC? To me, that's, you know, how do we pitch the product? And because once we get a customer, it's hopefully a very large sale. How we actually quote it, process an order, make sure the lead is followed up with, that's important to have, but it doesn't have to work as quickly and have as much bandwidth as something in the SMB space because there's such a higher volume. Yeah, I was uh, uh, just transitioning a little bit. I was having a conversation yesterday with Andy Moat, who is the head of revenue operations at CultureAmp. He was asking, and as many people ask, how can you make sales operations, revenue operations, a more strategic part of the business and not just an operational order taker? Mm -hmm. I'd like to add to that a little bit too, because I, I think kind of what the service that you provide is interesting because I don't think there's a very well-established market for it. And especially for small to mid-sized companies, from what I've seen, oftentimes they won't hire sales ops early or they kind of cheap out on sales ops early on. And what they hire 
is an order taker. What they hire is someone who doesn't have the skills and expertise to do something at the world class level, right? And so they end up in a situation where they think sales ops isn't very effective, but it, it's not the function of sales ops is their approach to sales ops. They've hired someone who doesn't have a lot of experience and they've hired someone who they're not going to give any real power or authority to from a strategic perspective. And as a result, they kind of struggle in places they shouldn't have to struggle or they can't put in place the ability to scale because that's ultimately what sales ops does is it puts in place the process, like the foundation and like the skeletal system that allows you to scale and I, I see a lot of times where that doesn't happen. So I'm curious, so Jeremy's question, how do you turn sales ops into a more strategic function at the organization? Yeah, that's something that I've seen evolve over the last five years. It, you know, CROs or VPs of sales or even CEOs would hire, I need someone who's going to track how many leads we have. That's just pretty clerical and administrative. Or I need someone to help me generate a quote once a customer prospect says, yes, I'm interested. That's a very tactical, administrative type job. So I don't really need a thinker. I need someone who's a doer and I'm just trying to plug a hole. So I think what we've seen over the years is as these tech companies are trying to scale rapidly, to your point, Sean, they don't have a strategic thought partner in place to really explain to the other executive teams all the pieces of the puzzle and what's required to really make that happen. And then with the processes and the systems and the people and the organizational structure that you need at a company that's only a million in revenue is very, very, very different than a company of a hundred million in revenue. So I think there is a paradigm shift in how people are thinking about it. You have all the data of how the sales team is performing. And if you can look at that, you can glean insights and then report back to your CRO. So a lot of it is really surfacing to the executive team, hey, this is what I see. I see that reps, once they own more than 50 accounts, their productivity in terms of dials per day or meetings set per week drops off 50%. So I think that there's diminishing marginal returns there and we should have a focus execution plan with our AEs. Let's limit the number of accounts that they have to 50 or 40. Or I see that you know if AEs follow up on leads on Mondays and Tuesdays between these time, there's a higher conversion rate to qualified pipeline. That's really interesting. That's information that the CRO, the CEO, the CFO would definitely want to have. It sounds like there's a lot of internal selling. I mean, what you just described is basically like a value selling process, <laughs> but you're doing it internally to the leadership team. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on how you've seen the role evolve over the years or in your professional experience as well. You know, what have you guys done to help highlight that if, if it's internal selling or just kind of like overall perspective on what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the great things about working at, at Sales Loft is that, you know, all of our customers are, are sales leaders, right? Uh, and oftentimes we're engaged with both maybe the head of sales and the, the head of sales ops at the same time because you need both of those things to effectively really get the full value out of Sales Loft. In the two and a half years that I've been at SalesLoft, I've actually seen a change in the role of sales ops. It seems to be becoming more and more prominent to the point where a lot of times the strategy and operations role is becoming one role or it rolls up to the same person ultimately in the organization. And what's really interesting is sometimes that rolls up to sales. Sometimes it rolls up to the CRO. Sometimes it rolls up to the COO. Sometimes it rolls up to the CFO. It's like the only role in an organization where I've seen that kind of variability in who it rolls up to. And I think that 
influences a little bit the nature of the, the position as well. I agree. What's your opinion on a sales ops leader versus a revenue ops leader and having, you know, marketing ops, sales ops, customer success ops, partner ops, all ops under one leader versus individually reporting into that C executive? Overall, I think dedicated sales ops makes sense when a company's smaller and growing most rapidly because I think the sales team in particular needs a lot of attention. In order to digest, you've got to eat, you know? <laughs> and so sales is typically top, top of mind for most small growing organizations. But there comes a point at which if you don't have consolidated revenue operations, you're going to create silos in the organization that will hold you back ultimately. And at that point, you've then got to break down the silos and build the right processes. So understanding when you've kind of reached that point, and I think it varies by company, is really important because you're going to have to convert to revenue ops at some point. Yeah, it was just actually funny enough on a webinar right before this that Craig Rosenberg was delivering from Topo, which is now owned by Gartner. And it was exactly on this topic of how should you view revenue operations? And his point of view was that revenue operations, right, is at the end of the day, um, a, I guess, a business process as opposed to necessarily a department. And I don't know that he exactly said this, but my thought on it is, like things are always more efficient if you can separate them until the coordination becomes super important, right? So if you're just generating, if you have like a new business engine and you just need to optimize and tune that, then you may not need to integrate the functions yet. But if there's a chasm opening up between marketing and new business or a chasm opening up between new business and account management, then the integration becomes more and more important. Even in our own journey, just uh, two, three months ago, we integrated for the first time customer success operations and sales operations. That's like our first toe in the water towards a fully integrated revenue operations. I do think it will still be some time for us before we put marketing operations in with in with that as well. And, and it, it will take uh, something kind of uh, a catalyst of some kind where we, we feel that that, you know, stuff is not flowing properly. Thus far, um, one of the ways we've actually sort of better aligned sales and marketing was actually to move our inbound SDR team over into marketing. And that solved a critical problem, right? Which is, you know, sales classically complains that the inbound leads are not the leads that they want. And so if you put the inbound SDRs over on the marketing side, that helps address the problem significantly. You, know, you mentioned kind of as companies go from a million to a hundred million. And I'm also thinking about sales ops structure. And this is a question I get a lot from other people is, once you get past that sort of 50 million range up into the 100 million and beyond, how should you structure sales ops? And just to give you some thoughts about things I've heard is in smaller organizations, you have these jacks of all trades, right? They work on compensation, territory, CPQ, all the different functions, right? Analytics. And then eventually you begin to potentially special specialize. Uh, and then even potentially, right, there's the concept of a business partner, the way HR has business partners for sales ops to have business partners. So I'm just throwing out a lot of ideas there, but I'm curious what's your advice as companies get big enough that they've got 5, 10, 15, 20 or more sales operations people, what's the best, what, you know, what is, what's a good structure to consider? Sure. I think from my perspective, the ratio, and that was what we were discussing earlier of sales ops people to AEs has loosely been around one to 10. And I'm talking core AEs, not SEs, not sales management, not SDRs. So I think if you loosely operate within those guidelines, I think that's something that kind of works in terms of how many people you need. Again, the, the 50 million mark in terms of revenue and then how you think about scaling the sales ops team is a little bit, I'd like to 
drill into that a little bit because I think if you have a, a very large customer base or revenue model and that 50 million only accounts for five customers, you don't necessarily need 10 sales ops people because the volume and the operations isn't, there's not as much strain on it. But assuming that it's, you know, very rapid growth and, you know, you're servicing SMB mid-market and enterprise type customers and you're at 50 million and you're trying to triple to 150 or even double to 100, I think that that's a perfect time to start to specialize. I would definitely consider having, you know, BI reporting, board metrics, maintaining and ensuring that the data is correct as a function territory operations, headcount planning, capacity planning, quota and compensation is another pillar that you can ultimately break again and have even additional specialization as the company scales, right? As you think about it, the larger the company gets, the the more specialization is required. And so, you know, if you're thinking about 50 million, I think, you know, the BI, then the territory quota planning headcount, and then more of like a process and systems and then even deal desk, if you have that falling in your sales ops team, I think that would be like the three pillars where I would start to specialize and then continue to break those apart even further as the company requires it. Like you mentioned, if you need a customer success ops person coming in, then that's an even a different pillar and what's required in terms of the, the go-to-market strategy. I do think that uh, eventually when you get large enough, I wouldn't say until maybe you're at like 200 million or, or more. Again, it depends on the on the size of customer that you're servicing and how many customers you have. But the business partnering or a field ops type of function where you have one analyst who is responsible for partnering with that sales leader is very critical. I found that very successful. That was something that Snowflake, uh, we set up at the very end of my time there and it was very beneficial because sales leaders really like having that one-stop shop, right? They want to just go to one person. And even if you're not responsible for all the things that they request, like if they want a different functionality added to their forecasting module, you as their business partner might not be responsible for that, but you'll understand the problem much more because you're almost an extended part of their team. And then you can go back to the systems team or the projects team and say, hey, this is the type of functionality we're looking to have on forecast calls. Can we make this happen? So yeah, that business partnering, I think, becomes very effective as you grow larger in the organization. You just mentioned your time at Snowflake, and I, I think it's a great way to end is uh, you had an, an amazing position at an amazing company. Snowflake is is continues to be on a tear. You were their senior director of sales operations, you know, and there for a number of years. What motivated you to jump ship and and start your own company? Sure. So I started Claris Designs in 2015. And I kept it running while I was at two full-time jobs at Sumo Logic and then at Snowflake. That was always my long-term plan. I realized when I started Claris Designs in 2015, when we were consulting on how to grow a business at a rapid pace, I was more speaking from a theoretical and an academic perspective versus a lived experience. I couldn't actually say that I had done that. And I thought that I would learn a lot more by being able to be a part of one of these fast growing companies or two in my experience and have a lot more data and experience to bring to the table. So that that was my plan was to work in an organization, in an environment that was rapid growth, grow a team, learn a lot, understand what worked, what didn't work, and then be able to take that back to my business to hopefully grow Claris at an even faster rate. So I think that the experience at Snowflake has been very strategic 
in terms of our customer acquisition and our revenue growth. What was the thing maybe that was the biggest surprise learning or epiphany or challenge for you? I think it somewhat goes back to what Sean and I were discussing earlier, which is internal selling when you come in as a full-time employee, but getting everybody who's involved bought in on a problem. So we're all marching towards the same solution. And we agree that there is a problem, that that is the solution, I think was key. And that was my biggest learning because you spend a lot of cycles and wasted time pitching a solution to, well, I did, pitching a solution to people that didn't agree that there was a problem and then therefore didn't need to prioritize it, whether it was from a project prioritization perspective or a hiring or resources or budget, et cetera. And so getting everyone bought on on the same problem we're trying to solve and the objective is very critical. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel Haley, again, is the co-founder and CEO of Claris Designs. If people want to learn more about Sales Ops as a Service or Claris or get in touch with you, what are the best ways for them to do that? Our website is the best way to get a hold of us. If you go to www.clarisdesigns.com and you go to our contact us page, fill out any questions you may have, we'll get back to you within the next day or so. Well, thanks for sharing. It was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.